Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster, it must be said in current times, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on today's programme by Sam Collier. Sam is a director at Rubbish Disposal, an Essex and London-based rubbish clearance company. Sam, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us on this fine day. Thank you, Sam, for taking the time to join us. Now, the purpose of this discussion is really to understand your take on leadership. So if we look at that word leader just in isolation, first and foremost, what does that word actually mean to you? Uh, A leader is basically a person who leads and commands a group organisation, I suppose. That's probably the best definition I could give of that. And if we think about your leadership style in the context of rubbish disposal. How would you describe that? Uh, I suppose, yeah, I suppose it's, it's my company. Um, I tell basically everybody what to do, make sure everybody else is safe, try and get the leads for the work. Um, yeah, that's about it, really. So incredibly proactive, it certainly seems. Um, and. Yeah. In terms of, um, of course, collective um, responsibility, do you tend to sort of delegate to those around you as well and encourage them to sort of be independent and take on their own leadership as well? Yeah, I try and delegate as much as I can um, and, you know, just try and help, well, I suppose, help people, help whoever works with me as well. Um, yeah, I suppose, yeah, just try and give out orders, try and be as nice as I can and try and get the job done as quick as possible without any aggravation. Important point that you mentioned, of course, about being as nice as possible during that. There's an element of people management there, isn't there? Just making sure that everybody is in the right headspace. Um, they're doing, of course, well. And that is something which is hugely important, particularly in the context of what's going on at the moment with COVID-19, isn't it? That emphasis on well-being. That's right, yeah. And with regards to what's going on at the moment, how have you had to adapt from a business point of view? Because I can imagine it's been quite disruptive. Yeah, it's been very disruptive. Um, basically, instead of now just getting up in the morning and going out to work, we have to get up, we get up now before we leave that place of business. Uh, we have to put gloves on, we have to sanitise, uh, we have to wear masks. Um, we are constantly social distancing with people. People still get too close to you, even though you're covered in PPE. There's a massive killer, killer virus about it at the moment. I'm still probably four or five times a week going to put my hand out and say, will you please step back? You're in my face. Nine out of ten people are great with it. Some people look at you like you've got something wrong with you, even though I'm not doing it for any other reason, just to protect me and my staff. Um, and that seems like a massive problem all over the country at the moment. It's something that... Now when we're driving about, we notice people are close. People are not, unless it's family members and families that are together that live together, people are not social distancing. And I find it quite offensive, to be honest with you, because we're all trying to do our bit to get through this. Um, And people are still in your face and they don't, a lot of people just don't get it. And that's what I can't understand. It's going to take some real leadership to win these people around them um, in a way, isn't it? Um, but like I say, I, I suppose 
to a degree, you can only ever lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, can you? So it's an it's an incredible challenge, I mean, even from the government perspective, although restrictions are now being lessened, even though that death rate is still very much in the hundreds. And that's come with a mixed response, hasn't it? Um, are you actually encouraged by what you've seen from the government level during this entire crisis, Sam? Um, I think the guidelines the government has put down, I think some of them are good. I think the government should have closed this whole country down around about the 15th of January when they knew that we did have this deadly bug. But by that sort of time, it was only killing two or three people a week. I think they should have closed the country down earlier. Um, I don't agree with next week. You can have six people around your house social distancing because where we work, we do a lot of... uh, sort of council work, social housing work. We're looking out the windows of some of these council flats we work in and the people downstairs are actually having parties in the middle of the day or having their hair cut. There's more than 25, 30 people in the garden. And we've seen that probably two or three times over the last three weeks. So I think there should be more fines. I think if you are breaking the law, you get fined £5,000 straight away. Um, but people are, I don't know, it, it just seems, I feel like they're doing this lockdown and they're easing it now. But the only thing with that is, in the next two months, you're going to have a spike again because people are going to think, oh, it's all over. Well, it's not. Um, I don't know, I just can't understand. I understand why they're doing it because people have got to get back to work, but at what cost? Mm. That's exactly it, isn't it? And I'm sure that will soon become apparent in the uh, the weeks and months uh, to come for sure. Um, it's been, of course, a very mixed um, reaction to uh, the lockdown. Some, of course, have been flouting the rules, as you've rightly outlined there. But others, of course, have really, really mucked in and have, in fact, in this time of adversity, really brought the best out in themselves, haven't they? Particularly those who've had to adapt to social distancing at work, continuing to go in on site, or those that have had to um, go and adapt to working remotely, or even those who've been furloughed, for example, and have been involved in community projects to keep uh, making sure that uh, the vulnerable in their society are, are provided for as well. Um, concerning that, Sam, have you been inspired by the reaction of your staff to this crisis and how they've handled it? Well, to be honest with you, my staff are all, uh, I'm the only one who's working at the moment because obviously we're, we're driving lorries and bits and pieces about. Mm. Obviously, the inside of a cab is only four foot, so I can't, you know, we take it quite seriously. I can't have, have anybody working with me. So the only way I've got three of my staff are furloughed at the moment um, and all the people that I do work for when I work, you know, council stuff and that, instead of us going into the properties now, the contracts that we work for are actually getting them all out and I'm just doing roadside collections. So hopefully that's going to change within the next couple of weeks. But um, even one of the guys who works with me, um, me and him have had to, at the beginning of this as well, we had to isolate because one of his family wasn't very well. Um, they've been tested and they're fine. But yeah, so it has been really, really hard work and I've been sort of doing everything myself, um, which is, you know, because I can't have people working with me and putting them in the back of my lorries as I'm driving. That's the only way we could do it. And if I have an accident, it could kill them. So at the moment, we're not having as much work coming in. I'm just covering all the major sort of stuff. 
but yeah, it has been really, really hard work. And I think you could uh, say, I don't ever, yeah. ever want to go through this ever again. Because um, every day you're going out, um, and you're you put the radio on, yeah, the television's on, your phone, everything. It's this virus is everywhere. It's like you have a news flash. It's, you're, you're constantly being drip fed disaster, basically, all the time. And um, and then you're worried all the time if you get a bit hot or you have a cough or anything like that, you think, oh, God, I haven't got the symptoms. Because I know seven people who have actually had this, and I know of about four people that have died of it over the last six weeks. So it is, you know, it's, it is quite bad. It is absolutely. And I think you could say that that tremendous effort that you put in to keep the business so running during this time, Sam, is tremendous leadership um, in and of um, itself as well. Um, if we look at the future and what that might hold when businesses are starting to reopen over the next uh, few weeks, there's been some debate over how clear government guidelines are and clarity, transparency, of course, two very important elements of leadership. Would you say that they've been clear enough? What this government they're in at the moment? No, the guidelines for uh, the uh, the COVID secure premises, uh, which will be, yeah. of course, around the reopening of businesses. I would say. Uh, yeah, I think some of it. I think some of it could have been a bit more clearer, to be honest with you, uh, because uh, how can I put it? A lot of people. I think I think people will will cut corners with it. Um, I think they should be more clearer, to be perfectly honest with you. I think it should be more clearer. I think you should have more inspections, especially if you've got shops like, I don't know, hairdressers, places where they do food, anything like that. I mean, there should be something set out, and there's nothing set out, especially hairdressers at the moment. There's nothing set out when they can go back to work. Also, with pubs, they're saying the pubs are going to be open in the next three weeks. I can't see how they're going to do it. It's all very well saying everybody goes in a pub garden. But what happens if it starts raining? Or what happens if someone in the pub has drunk too much and they start falling all over the place and then you're not going to get social distancing? So, no, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know how they're going to do this. Hopefully they get a vaccine that will work and then everything can go back to normal. But I can't see anything going back to normal for 18 months, if I'm perfectly honest. It's very uncertain times, uh, for sure. And... um You've now had experience of managing a crisis from a business perspective. You've also got a great many years of experience um, yourself, um, in any case, uh, Sam. Based on all of that experience, if you were to address somebody who was maybe about to start their first day in a leadership or management role within a business, what sort of advice would you give them? Uh, Sorry, could you say that again? The line went, sorry, I didn't hear that. Could you say that again? Of course. So based upon the experience that you've accumulated over the years, not just in managing this current crisis period, but also just in the business in general, if you were to give some advice to somebody who was about to start their first day in a leadership or management role in a business, what sort of advice would you give them? Oh, that's a tricky one. Um, What sort of advice would I give them? Um, Basically, chip away. You're not going to you're not going to completely uh, be successful straight away. You might have two or three years where you don't earn any money and just keep chipping away. And if you if you believe in what you're doing, then, you know, you will be successful. Um, just keep chipping away. You will, all the way through your life, you will have obstacles that you have to jump over all the time. 
Um, but just keep chipping away, keep doing it, believe in it, and you will get there. But you've got to have that drive. I mean, the amount of times I've been in this business for 30 years, the amount of times I've been knocked down, I've had to get back up, bust myself off, you know, and you think, is it really worth it? You know, some days you think, I'll go and be a postman and have an easy life. And then other days you have great times. So as long as you can realise as well that you're not, you know, life isn't going to be great all the time. You are going to have your problems. As long as you go into it with your eyes wide open, that's fine. Um, and that's what you should do. That's the only advice I could ever give. I think that's very sound advice, Em, indeed, uh, Sam. And uh, if we think now about what the future holds over the next uh, 12 um, to 18 months, um, even for yourself and for Rubbish Disposal as a business, what do you hope to achieve in firstly getting through hopefully this COVID-19 pandemic in that time and then beyond that? Uh, in the next 18 months, I hope to achieve more contracts, take some more drivers on, obviously get my workforce back to full-time work. Um, yeah, and basically try and have the good times again. We were doing so well up until January, and then this has come, and this is like a bomb's gone off, you know. We're, uh, I'm still obviously going to work. I'm still earning okay, but, um, you know, it's not, it's not going to be as good as what I thought I was predicting at the beginning of the year what it was going to. But, you have these sort of things happen, things turn around, and hopefully in five years' time, this will all be a memory that everybody will go, can you remember what we were doing five years ago? Wasn't it terrible? You know, And maybe then people might realise in five years' time, when it, everything goes back to normal, hopefully, maybe they might reflect on it and think, we did have, you know, we've got a really good life, everything's really good, and appreciate it a little bit more instead of, the greediness that you've got at the moment and the selfishness. I hope that comes out of this, that people are less selfish and nicer to each other, to be honest with you. And I hope the world goes back to being a nicer place. Let's hope so, uh, for sure, Sam. And it's going to be interesting to see just whether we take these values forward from this uh, harrowing experience. And I think over the next year or so, um, once we do start seeing what this new normal will look like, it would be good to perhaps um, even have you back on the programme and catch up on just what has changed and how the businesses are getting on as well, given how informative it's been today. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, that'd be great. I'll look forward to that. Likewise, Sam, um, it's been a real pleasure having you on the uh, the programme today. And um, do also take care and do stay safe with everything still going on as well in the meantime. You too. Thanks very much. That was Sam Collier, Director at Rubbish Disposal. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. Now, during his professional football career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition after his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium, 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff. That's coming up next. Uh, We're now joined uh, though by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on today. uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, And perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times 
But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, had one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. 
and it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, Maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh... A, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and so I, I had the, the impact of thinking I 
at that stage, I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, well, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, mm. out. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about it, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's—I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you in the It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines 
three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, um, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did... Uh, um, but then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... It would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just 
luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leading show. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And, of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they. Uh, Ron Green was yeah. The answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back. Uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. Yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I'm going back from an earlier, earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially. And that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. It, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the... Um, uh, Getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time, and I wouldn't. And when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. And there was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. You- we have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly. Uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant 
that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mindedness, uh, single mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.